Hey, I'm excited about this morning and about, excited about what we're starting. I'm excited uh, that so many of you responded to take the, the videos with you to share with others. And uh, somebody told me today that uh, some friends of theirs are using the videos in Ecuador. Uh, some family members are using the video in Ohio. Uh, last uh, week, I preached at the Forum, which is a retirement community down the street, and five Five groups are starting at the forum. It's pretty exciting to see what's going to happen. It's exciting because the letter to the Philippians is such a great book. Let's not waste any more time with the introduction, though. Let's stand for the reading of the word. Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to be doing this for the next seven weeks, working through the book and working through what Paul has to say to us about an overflowing life. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, who gives grace and peace? Jesus Christ, our God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gives us grace and peace. Every time I thank you of you, I give thanks to to my God, whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now let me point out to you a reason that you should be confident. Paul is making a promise to you and to me and to the church there, saying essentially that if God has started his work in you, if he has begun to do something in you, God is going to finish the work. God's not going to grow frustrated with you and abandon the project. That God has promised to continue to do his work in you. It goes on and it says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. And when Paul wrote this letter, Paul was in prison. He was writing 10 years after he initially visited Philippi. He was chained night and day to a Roman guard under house arrest, awaiting his own, his own execution. He goes on and he writes, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Paul had a special affection for this church. And he writes then, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you are living pure and blameless lives? <laughs> Nobody's raising their hand. The people he was writing to weren't living pure and blameless lives either. But when you read, when you read Paul's letters and you read the gospel, you see that Jesus sets up expectations for how we are to live our life. But there, on this side of heaven, there's always going to be a gap between who you are and who you're being called to be. You're always going to be a project in formation. 
This is important to understanding overflowing love. Overflowing love doesn't begin to flow when you reach purity and a blameless life. No, overflowing love begins at the moment of your need before God. And the way that you're able to connect with God's love is that place when you look at your life and you look at who God's called you to be and you feel broken by that. And you acknowledge in vulnerability that I need more of him to be more like him. Rather than being something that disqualifies you from service, the brokenness and the sinfulness in you and me is the thing that God uses to grow us and to shape our character. It doesn't disqualify us. No, our reaching out to him in those moments is what prepares us. That's a beautiful thing. He goes on and then says, May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. This overflowing love is demonstrated in our character and who we are in the world. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. This is the reading of the Word of God, and God's people did say. You may be seated. This morning, I would like to begin by talking with you about expectations. I think it's important that we talk about expectations as we begin something new in our church and as we begin reading through Philippians. Because generally in life, it's true that you're going to get what you expect. Expect little, get little. Expect much and get much. So I... I, I was having a conversation with someone a couple weeks ago, and I was telling him about something I was doing I was excited about. Well, what it is, it doesn't matter. I'm just excited about a lot of things all the time. And I'm a person just enthusiasm comes naturally, and I just have high expectations about all kinds of things. And this person looked at me and said, well, David, aren't you just setting yourself up for disappointment? I go, what do you mean? They said, if you have high expectations, you're just going to be disappointed. And they then told me, they said, in their life, they've learned to have low expectations. If you have low expectations, then you're never really uh, disappointed. And basically, he was telling me that life is basically about minimizing disappointments as opposed to maximizing opportunities. Now, I understand it. I understand it's true. You know, if you live your whole life uh, never having high expectations, you'll never be really disappointed by anything. But as for me and my own self, the way I think about things, that's just really sad. It's sad to go through life never having high expectations about anything. I, I think that low expectations are dangerous to the heart, to the mind, to your life and to my life. It basically says that life is just getting by. Life is just surviving. But just getting by and surviving to me isn't life. I mean, who at the end of their life wants the preacher to be standing over his grave and the preacher saying, well, he was neither high nor low. He just kind of got by, lived his life, Never made anybody really happy. Never made anybody really mad. And then on the headstone it says, he understood his place in the world. I mean, who, who wants to be 
that person to say he lived within his limits. He played it safe. Now, I get it, you know, I get it. It's easy to set low expectations because we get crushed, we get hurt, our dreams are broken. We aim high. We, when we aim high, we fall low. I get it. But the problem is we are sitting in, in a place of high expectation. I, I sometimes think we forget that, that, that we are dealing with the creator God who created the heavens and the earth. We're talking about the apostle Paul who wrote letters of encouragement and expectation. And sometimes I wonder, when we walk into the sanctuary, do we expect anything to happen? I mean, Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. What did he say? He said, ask and you shall receive. And what did Paul say in one of his letters? Paul in one of his letters says that we are able to do more than we could ever dream or imagine because the work of the resurrected Jesus Christ who overcame death and suffering and now not just live in the world but lives inside of you his holy spirit lives in you so we should expect much I, I don't know about you but I feel like that when Christ shows up in my life it, it, it's going to make a difference he's going to shift my thinking he's going to alter my perception he's going to heal my hurts he's going to change my sorrow into joy He's going to break hold of the addiction. He's going to break hold of the habit on my life. You see, I think that God wants to do something more than just comfort me and comfort you. I mean, I need comfort. We need comfort. But we also need challenge and we need correction and we need inspiration. You know, see, I, I think that sometimes we settle for less because we don't want to be disappointed. And we forget where we are. We are in the sanctuary of the holy, glorious, magnificent God of creation. Because, you know, you get what you expect. She'll never change, so I'm not going to try anymore. You get what you expect. I'm not going to try for that promotion at work because my boss will always belittle me and I'm too old. You get what you expect. I'm not going to try out for that team because I don't think I could make it. You get what you expect. We'll never get out of this financial mess because the odds are just stacked against us. You get what you expect. But you see what the Bible again teaches us, that when God shows up, you can expect something beautiful to grow out of the mess. That when God shows up, you can expect something new to happen. Nowhere in the Bible does it say expect little. It always says expect much. Now, why is this important? Because I think that when we hold Paul's letter to the Philippians in our hands, we should approach it with high expectation. Because in this letter, Paul is in prison, and he is preaching hope and encouragement. And it is a letter that is filled with high expectation. He is saying to this little church in Philippi, I am praying for you, expecting that because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, that his love is going to flow out of your life and touch everything and touch everyone and transform your world and your community and your life. 
You see, Paul's letter to the Philippians is so encouraging because when you read it, you find Paul saying at one point, I've learned the secret of being content. And my contentment has nothing to do whether I've got a table full of food or I've got a table that's bare. It has nothing to do whether I'm in prison or out of prison. It has nothing to do whether I'm suffering or I'm doing well. He says the secret to my commitment is the same. It's the same one who found me on the road to Damascus and knocked me to my knees and picked me up. He's been picking me up ever since. He says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. You see, overflowing life is not a strategy. It's not self-esteem. It's not self-help. It's a Savior. It's through him we can do all things. Now, I was talking this week to a former baseball player, member of our church who has a very successful uh, career at the moment, mid-30s, raising his children, having a great life. I didn't know that he played baseball in college. He was a shortstop. He told me that his dream was to play professional ball. He said, I was a great fielder. I was good. But he said, I just couldn't hit a slider. He said, one season I could hit the slider, the next season I couldn't hit it. One season I'd be batting the upper 300s, the next season in the 200s. And he says what major league teams are looking for is not just good fielders. They're looking for people that can hit a slider and they're consistently can hit in the 300s. He said, I could never do it. It was up and down. Takes a sip of his coffee and then he says, hey, that's just life, isn't it? I go, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, life is just up and down. It's just up and down all the time. He said, marriage and, you know, my career is going well, but next year maybe not so well. Isn't that true that life is like that? It's just up and down. But what Paul is talking about here, what he's talking about here is this love. It doesn't matter whether you're up or down. It's not dependent on up or down. But what happens in life is we, we end up like, I love this, this piece of art. That's how we feel. I don't know who created this piece of art. Our grief group was using it. But I heard that the man who created this piece of art had lost a child. And he said, this is how he felt. And so the reason I think this is important is anybody here ever felt like that? I mean, everybody. We, we all know what that's like to feel hollowed out. But what Paul's talking about here is all the ups and downs is that we should expect, we should just expect that we invite Christ into our life. He fills us up on the inside. It's not love that comes from us. It's love that flows directly from him into us and then out of us. It's not, it's not just enough for us. It's enough from for everyone. You see, God is a God of abundance. There's enough of God for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Because God is good all the time. All the time. All the time good. So I want to point out something that you might miss. You know, we read the beginning of the letter. And you read it, it says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus. So the holy ones 
in Philippi. Now you read that and you skip over it because that's not the meat, right? Let me tell you, right there in that one phrase, in that first sentence, is everything you need to know about this letter. Let me explain what I mean. He says, holy ones. In the Greek, that means uh, saint or holy one. Now, when you hear saint or holy one, and you look at the person next to you, you don't think that's who I'm talking about, right? (laughs) You don't think I'm talking about you. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean perfection. It means the person who's been called out to do something. A saint or a holy one is the one who's been called out to do something special, to go on mission. And so what Paul says here is he's writing to the holy ones in Philippi. He's writing to the people who live in Philippi that God has called on mission to bring his love. Now what Paul did, Paul, where he started his churches, he went to major metropolitan areas. He didn't go to Simpsonville or Eastwood or Shelbyville or Frankfurt, probably not even the Louisville. Today he'd be going to Los Angeles and and to New York, and to Chicago, places like that. That's where he'd start his churches. And what he would do is he'd start with people who were open to receive Christ, and that's where the church was born. Now, I look at a room full of people who have been hollowed out. But if you'll look around you all over the world, look at where you work. Look at the people in your neighborhood. Look at the people at the grocery store. All around us, we have people who have been hollowed out by life. My point is, to this hollowed out group of people in this room, you are the holy ones who have been set apart in Louisville to overflow and to fill those who have been hollowed out all around you. It's our mission. That's what it's all about. Now, let me point out to you another thing in this letter that's important. He then says in that first chapter, every time I think of you, let me tell you who he's thinking about. Every time I think you, I'm filled with joy. Here's how it started in Philippi. So in Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his way to Asia to start a church, to plant some churches. For some reason or other, all these obstacles come up, and he can't get there. He perceives that Jesus doesn't want him to go to Asia. Paul has a dream. In the dream, he sees a man from Macedonia. This is where he was, the man was. Macedonia is in Greece. The church in Philippi is in Philippi. Paul is somewhere trying to get there. And he traveled. In the dream, the man says, it's a man of Macedonia says, Paul, come and preach the gospel to us. We need to hear it. And it it would be the first church that Paul would plant in Europe. So Paul goes to Philippi, and the first thing that happens is he goes to a Sabbath synagogue service where there were some some Gentiles who were uh, observing Jewish traditions. Paul meets a wealthy woman there by the name of Lydia. He preaches the gospel to her, a hollowed-out person, and what happens? She accepts Christ and is baptized, her whole family. First, 
Christian convert that Paul found in Europe. Afterwards, Paul is preaching all around Philippi, this major metropolitan area. There's a slave woman, a slave slave girl who makes money for her owners because she tells fortunes. Paul drives the demon out of her, and guess what happens? She can't tell fortunes anymore. She's hurt the pocketbook of the slave owner. So then what happens The slave owner gets mad, but now he's got two followers. He's got a slave girl who used to be possessed by a demon who told fortunes, who can't do it anymore. He's now got a wealthy woman named Lydia, and her whole family are the first followers in this little town. But the business owners get mad. So they have him beaten and arrested for ruining the economy in Philippi. They throw him in jail. There he is with Paul and Silas, but Paul's happy. Because in jail, guess what happens? The love just starts flowing out of him. He starts singing hymns. He starts praising God around midnight. He's singing joyful hymns. And it says that the men in jail were listening to him, meeting Christ. Miracle happens. The jail breaks open. God breaks him open and breaks him free. But Paul doesn't leave. You know why? He's waiting for the jailer to show up so he can preach the gospel to him. That's overflow, folks. That's overflow. The jailer comes in, takes a sword, and wants to run himself straight through because he thinks he's failed his mission. But he see, and Paul goes, no, we're here in the dark. We didn't leave. We were waiting for you. Paul preaches the gospel to the jailer, and the jailer and his entire family is baptized. They then dress Paul's wounds. Now you see who he's talking about. Every time I think of you, 10 years earlier, the church in Philippi started with a wealthy woman, a slave girl, a jailer, and a bunch of criminals. That's what God's overflowing love does. It brings together all these different types of people to be his church, an overflowing church. So he's writing to them and saying, hey, just keep being faithful. Just keep turning to him. Keep loving him, letting him fill you up. Now, the point of this is this. How does overflowing love begin? It begins the same way with every one of us. It's not something we manufacture. It's about us inviting him in. Overflowing love is about you inviting him into your life and into your heart, asking him to fill you every single day. And it's also recognizing and understanding that there's nothing in this world that's ever going to fully satisfy your heart and soul but the God that created you. All the things around you in the world are beautiful and those things are good, but ultimately it is Jesus that will satisfy you. When your identity and your security is found in him, you're able to handle anything that's going on around you because you're not getting your identity from what people think about you, but you're getting it from him. And so that's when he writes and he goes on and he says, my prayer is that this love will overflow. Let me end with this story. I want you to see a photograph. You can't really see who the woman is in the back of the picture. I wish I had a better picture to show you. But the woman dressed in white at the back of the, uh, against the bookcase is Barbara Gooch. Barbara Gooch has been a member of this church since Paul preached the gospel. Barbara was married to Jim, and and Jim and Barbara 
are foundational people for this church. Sang in the choir, served in every way you can imagine. Barbara has volunteered in the office for a long time. Barbara is the woman a few weeks, a few months ago, hung up on the spokesperson for Big Ass Fans who was trying to sell us a fan. He said, I'm calling from Big Ass Fans, and she hung up on him and said, we don't talk to people like you. <laughs> Barbara, Barbara, Barbara is a fierce, fierce personality, great person. Her husband Jim died, and she became increasingly unable to take care of herself, memory loss, and just unable to care for herself. Her kids live in Annapolis, came down, picked her up, moved her to a memory care center in Indianapolis. For days after she was placed in the memory care center, oh, by the way, she went resisting and fighting the whole way. That's just Barbara, you know. Uh, I always said if I wanted to go to war, I wanted her with me at my side. Give her a hand grenade and a bazooka. She'll take care of the enemy. I mean, she's, she's fierce. She's calling my wife ten times and saying, tell David to come up and break me out. She really struggled. Bar Barbara was uh, the daughter of a preacher, a minister in racially segregated South and Alabama during the Civil Rights Movement. She served her whole life giving her whole life to Jesus Christ. It's been hard. But you know what happened? I got this photograph from the director of the memory care center that said, hey, I want to tell you what's happened to Barbara. Barbara is now leading our worship services during the week and singing hymns and leading the choir. And she's now holding a Bible study for the residents that will come and be a part of it. And look at Barbara. She's got it all together. Right there. Overflowing with love. That's what I'm talking about. You see, when you have it, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're a school teacher, you overflow. If you're an accountant working for a business, you overflow. If you're a coach, you overflow. And it's not just good for people around you, but it's good for you too. And here's the beautiful thing. It says at the end of this, at the end of this it says, and when we overflow, it doesn't bring glory and honor to us, but it brings glory and honor to him. And my hope for this series and for you and for me, is that as we spend our time with this letter, that your affection, your affection for Jesus will grow.